stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it you're working even when i don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop Never stop working, even when I don't see it. series on the Iron Statements of Jesus from the Gospel of John. This included a sermon series, a discovery Bible study booklet, and our adult small groups and classes continued the discussion in their meetings. The overall response was extremely positive as people shared with us how their lives were changed and the impact on them in joining a group. This year we're doing another alignment 
series for seven weeks, starting on January 10th. Our focus will be on Becoming More Like Jesus, with lessons from the Gospel of Luke. Becoming More Like Jesus is a focus of all of our ministry at the Cypress Bible Church. This year, children's ministry, student ministry, and our Spanish ministry will be joining in the series as well. The adult study will include a seven-week sermon series, uh, discovery Bible study booklets, opportunities to join grow groups and classes, uh, new group sign-ups, and the distribution of the discovery Bible study booklets will begin on December 10th. We hope you will join us in this journey of becoming more like Jesus. Say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. Right now, right now I'm losing that. Stood on the stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. Right now. Oh, right now I just can't It's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down What will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able and I Good morning and welcome. I'm Brian Carroll, equipping pastor here at Cypress Bible Church. My privilege to welcome you here this morning. At Cypress Bible Church, we, uh, we like to practice that uh, begin wherever you are and become more like Jesus. And so wherever you're at in your journey, uh, we're glad that you're either here with us in person or that you're tuning in with us online. And we hope that you will join us in that process of becoming more like Jesus. There are three primary values we have here. Gather together for life-changing worship, and 
that's what we're here doing this morning. Uh, the second one is to grow through life-changing truth. We believe that's best accomplished in a smaller setting, smaller group Bible study. We have both online virtual groups and then also in-person groups available to help you in that journey. And then the third one is to go in life-changing mission. You and I have that responsibility to take that gospel message to others, just like many people, starting even with the shepherds, way back at the birth of Jesus did. And we have that responsibility as well. And those are three key values here at Cyprus. I want to mention a couple of announcements. Uh, the first one is our Christmas Eve service this year is at different times than it's been previously. So if you've got that calibrated in your mind, make sure that you change it this year or you're going to come at the wrong time. Our services are going to be in person at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And then also we will have an online option that will be available or will be streamed at 4 o'clock and then available anytime in the evening after that if the 4 o'clock hour doesn't work for you and you want to watch that virtually. Also want to mention, um, I had mentioned a couple weeks ago about our upcoming series, uh, Becoming More Like Jesus. It's a great way to start off January and the new year. And uh, uh, it's a seven-week series that we're encouraging our whole congregation to be a part of. There will be a sermon series part of that. There will be a booklet, and these booklets are now available out in the foyer. These are your own personal Bible study booklet that you can use. And if you are watching us online, uh, this week we will have some emails sent out. We'll have things on our website to know how you can get that booklet, whether it's downloading it or even having it mailed to you. And so we want everybody to have a booklet so that you can be a part of doing your own personal Bible study. And then the third part of that is we're really encouraging people to get involved in groups. We believe that being in a group and journeying together, learning together, sharing together, praying for each other, encouraging and holding each other accountable is pretty significant in our growth. And so we're going to provide lots of those opportunities. If you're here in person, you can go out to the uh, kiosk in the foyer this morning and sign up to be part of a group. If you're uh, watching us virtually, look for all that information to come out via email and online this week. We'll be sending out a video, and then we'll have a video online that'll tell you how you can get involved and be a part of all of those things. Uh, this morning we come to worship, and, so I, and uh, this is the third week of Advent, and the third week traditionally the theme is one of joy. Um, and uh, this morning, I just want to read a few passages of Scripture. Uh, from the book of Jeremiah, it says, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Some prophetic words. And then um, John the Baptist was filled with joy about the coming Messiah even before he was born, even when he was in his mother's womb. Listen to this passage from Luke 1. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried into a town in the hill, uh, hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored the, uh, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then in Luke 2, 8 through 11, the shepherd's response at the word of Jesus' coming. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus Christ is a true answer for hope, peace, and joy in this season and for eternity. Will you stand with me as we worship together? Can we join together this morning and declare joy to the world. The Lord has come. Thanks be to God. All right, won't you lift your voice to him now? Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing and heaven and heaven and nature sing we will sing 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 Joy
the world, the Lord is come. Lord, it's our prayer this morning that you receive glory and honor. Lord, as we sing to you. One star burns in the darkness, shines with the promise.
Good morning. I'm Evelyn Herman, the Early Childhood Director at Cypress Bible Church. We have gone through the weeks of Advent of hope and peace, and this week we're talking about joy as we read from Anne Boskamp's Unwrapping the Greatest Gift. Standing there under thousands and millions of blinking stars, Abraham had one question when God said he would give Abraham thousands and millions of children, as many as the stars in the sky. How? Abraham and his wife didn't even have one kid, so they didn't even have one grandchild. They only had one worn out prayer that God would give them just one miracle of their own child to hold and to laugh with and to love forever. But wait, who birthed the star with every breath of his mouth? God does. If God birthed stars, couldn't he make one old man and one old woman birth one little baby? Couldn't God grow a family into a love big enough to fill the skies? Abraham, God said, everything is always more than it seems, more than you can see. I'm doing unexpected things. I'm sending you a child. And through that child, your family will grow big and the whole earth will be blessed. Abraham laughed, happy. And when the news of a miracle child reached the heirs of his wife, Sarah, she laughed too. But Sarah laughed sad. Sarah laughed the way you do when you think someone is teasing you. And you laugh brave so you don't cry hard. Many months went by. And when Abraham was 100 years old, Sarah had a baby, a baby boy. Abraham leaned close over the baby, his forehead gently touching Sarah. Isaac, Abraham smiled. Isaac means laughter. They would laugh with him and love him forever. Sarah held little Isaac and laughed with joy to the heavens. God has brought me laughter. Her wrinkles and weariness melted away as her lips cradled her smile, her arms cradled her child. God brings us the gift of laughter, like bubbly, fizzy soda pop joy for our hearts. Joy is the gigantic secret gift that God gives us and we never stop unwrapping. We were once all alone, but now we've been given a child, the many, many, many great grandsons of Abraham, the baby Jesus. And Jesus makes us laugh because he's coming to save us and free us from all our fears. All fear comes from thinking somewhere God's love will end, but God's unbeatable, unstoppable, unwrappable love for you will never, no matter what, end. So when we loosen up, because all our heavy sad chains have been loosed and we can laugh free, because of Jesus, the miracle child who came to us, laughter comes to us too. And we get to hold the wonder of it close to us. Sadness is not the end of our story. Jesus is the end of our story and the beginning of our story and the best part of our story. 
Because of him, we can sing fa la 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 and feel what laughter does inside of us. It sends soda, pop, fizzing, bubbly joy all the way down to our toes. So it's your turn to spread some joy to those around you. Uh, we would love for you to post different ways that you make somebody smile this week, that you brought joy and laughter to their life. Thank you so much. God bless you.
we come together and lift this prayer to the Lord this morning. You'll see the words up on the screens. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy that entered the world at the birth of our Savior, Jesus. Thank you for becoming Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, sometimes it's difficult to live joyfully, especially in difficult or busy seasons. Please purify our hearts this week and remind us that you are sovereign and you are in control. Help us to consider it joy when we experience trials of any kind because we know you are creating something beautiful and eternal. As we fix our eyes, our hearts, our minds on you, fill our souls with renewed strength, courage, and hope. Strengthen us to remain faithful. Lord, you are always worthy of praise, and we want to worship you. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's continue to lift our praise to him this morning. Lift your voice to the Lord this morning.
Amen. Uh, 43 years old when he got married, and uh, three weeks after the ceremony, he went back to his church for a men's breakfast, and uh, everybody there 
congratulated him and slapped him on the back and told marriage jokes. And when Brian got home to his new wife, he said, for the first time in my life, I felt like I belonged at church. That's pretty sad. Uh, Our relationship status can be a divider, even at church. Singles might not feel welcome. Dating or engaged couples might not connect with couples who have children. Those widowed, divorced, can feel ignored, forgotten. Frankly, churches have long programmed as if everybody was supposed to be married. Sadly, what's sometimes communicated is if you aren't married, you're second class or you're somehow missing God's will for your life. And that, of course, is a very unbiblical viewpoint. In case you're not aware, in the last, just the last five years, things have dramatically changed in our country in, in many ways, but in this one that I'm thinking of, that for the first time, the number of unmarried adults in the United States is greater than the number of married adults. Now, that's due to a variety of reasons. We also have divorce rates dropping. That's because fewer people are getting married. And people are waiting longer to get married as well. So the reality is a local church is going to include not only married folks and families, but some who have never been married, some who are single because of divorce or death, some who are single because that's who God called them to be, and some who are single and praying for marriage. Well, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians 7, almost all of those situations are addressed. The Apostle Paul, who founded this church and is five years later writing to it because of the struggles it's having, he counsels several different types of single people in the church, and he says pretty much the same thing to all of them. It's best not to marry, but it's okay if you do. Well, that sounds kind of odd to us, doesn't it? Why does he say that? What's the point? And how does this apply to those of us who follow Jesus in this day and age? Well, whether you're single, married, engaged, divorced, widowed, here's the bottom line from our text, that your relationship status is not as important as serving Jesus. Even though a lot of this passage that we study this morning, verses 25 to 40, seems aimed at single people, a variety of different reasons for people's singleness. This teaching applies to all of us. I think we fail to appreciate how many single people there are. For instance, in the New Testament, uh, Jesus, of course, was a single adult, and so were friends that he spent a good deal of time with. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. John the Baptist was unmarried. The Apostle Paul might have been married at one point earlier in his life, but by the time that he wrote his New Testament letters, he was single, either because of divorce or death. Our scripture text this morning begins with these three words. Now about virgins. I think that's an attention grabber. You want to find out what comes after that, don't you? That's how Paul begins this section of scripture. uh, There is some debate as to how this word virgins should be translated. I don't think there should be a debate, but you might have a a translation that uh, puts it as the engaged or the betrothed. But uh, 
The Greek word parthenon, it's a plural, generally referring to women, but also in Scripture uh, refers, can apply to men. I I believe that the translation virgins is the best understanding here. Uh, Paul is speaking to unmarried women, unmarried men, who have not been sexually active. So what is it about virgins that uh, we're to learn? Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Well, here is another subject that Jesus did not teach on specifically. Paul doesn't have any direct teaching, any direct word from Jesus on this, but he does have an authoritative guideline. He gives an opinion. Uh, The word means judgment or advice. And it's based on his status as an apostle of Christ. And his advice to the unmarried is not to get married because of the present distress. Present distress. There's a current situation. In Corinth, uh, they were facing the pressures of a culture that was filled with immorality and drunkenness and idolatry and many other things. That could be partly what Paul is talking about, but I think it's more than that. For example, there's historical evidence, uh, certainly of a number of famines throughout the history of the Roman Empire, but one that was happening at this very present time that Paul is writing, a great famine. And as a result, society was in chaos. There was rioting as people faced starvation, as they waited in food lines. There's a number of writers from that period that talk about people standing in lines waiting for food. And you know what was happening? Meanwhile, there was certainly an upper class in that society. There was a a wealthy class, and they were feasting. They had everything that they wanted and more. So the great inequality, uh, the, the, the inequity of that situation caused disruption in that society. Violence, protests, chaos and starvation. I think that's part of what Paul refers to here. I think also the very fact that great persecution was on the way. They'd already experienced some. Paul himself, before he was converted, had contributed to to, uh, persecuting Christians, but more was seriously on the way. Uh, Within a decade, Emperor Nero would attack the church. Christians would be arrested, tortured, put to death, Some of them would have their clothes soaked in wax and then set on a fire as human candles for the emperor's garden parties. Some of them were crucified, as Jesus had been. Some of them were sewn into the skins of animals and then thrown to dogs to be torn apart viciously. Women, for some reason only women, were tied to mad bulls and dragged to death. This is what would happen within just a few years. Trials trouble, trauma was on the way. And so Paul says, wouldn't it be better not to get married and have children in that situation? He continues, verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife, but if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. So with all the crises around them, Paul says, maintaining your current status seems the wisest thing to do. 
If you're already married, don't untie the marriage knot. Because no matter how troubled life gets, outside danger is never a grounds for divorce. Paul's already covered that earlier in this chapter. And if you're unmarried, he says, don't search for a mate. Paul wants to spare them the tribulation, the pressures of marriage in that kind of situation. Marriage can be a great burden in time of persecution, specifically. Obviously, that this teaching has to be balanced with what Paul has already taught them. For example, when he said earlier that if you can't control yourself sexually, you need to get married. We have to keep the whole context in mind here. But, but he wants them to realize that having a family during a stressful, dangerous time like this increases the burden. Solomon Rosenberg survived the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. His family did not. Rosenberg was put into a labor camp and along with his wife, his two sons, and his parents. And apparently the rules were, as long as you can do your work, you're permitted to live. Rosenberg's father and mother were the first to die. He saw them marched off. In their 80s, they could not keep up in the work. But each day after that hard labor in the barracks, Rosenberg would search for his two sons and his wife, and they would huddle together and thank God for another day. But one night when he returned, he, he found Joshua, his oldest, but not David. What, what happened to David, he said. Today, David was not strong enough to do his work to Joshua, so they came for him. Joshua said when they came for David, he was afraid and he cried. So mother said, don't be afraid, David. And she took his hand and went with him. It's that kind of situation that Christians would be facing if they weren't already. And it would be easier not to have a family during such days. I don't think that Paul's advice is too far-fetched in our present danger and difficult situation. Notice next verse 29. But this I say, brethren... The time has been shortened so that now, from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. That might seem very strange to you, what he says there. But he's counseling them not to change their status but to change their attitude about earthly things. And so he has this string of commands advising believers on how to view life in these last days. And if you will notice, none of those commands includes going out and buying weapons, but telling them how they should look at life as believers. As difficult as it is, though it's only the beginning of birth pangs, Every generation has troubles of varying kinds. But one day, those troubles will be the beginning of the end. As Jesus said in Matthew 24, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, famines, earthquakes, but Jesus said this is just the start of tribulation. And so Paul's counsel is that every relationship, every activity in your life must be considered in light of the fact that the end is now nearer than when you first believed. And whether it's marriage, 
or grief or joy or belongings or business. Those are all things he lists here. Christians have to hold them all very loosely, whatever it is, because this life is temporary. He he says the form, that's verse 31, the form of this world is passing away. Schema is the Greek word for form, and it refers to everything that you see, everything that makes up this life, tangible, relational. He says it's all on the way out. Not even marriage is eternal. You know, that's the biblical view of marriage. Not even marriage is eternal. Every joy, every sorrow, every possession is temporary. And so don't let anything possess you in a way that will reduce your devotion to Jesus. Don't live as if everything you see is all there is in this world. Whatever time is left, don't let this world set your priorities for you. Because if you're consumed with and living for marriage or sexual release or singleness or stuff or children or career or business, then you've missed the point. Because ultimate fulfillment isn't found in any of these things, but in Christ alone. So now then Paul goes on to address some specific relationships in light of this teaching. Uh, And he says in Verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That last phrase is key here, undistracted devotion to the Lord. And I love, again, how he has throughout this chapter, Paul addresses equally both male and female, husband and wife. And really, we could sum it up with these words, that whether married or single, serve Jesus. Paul is giving godly advice out of concern for the situation that the the Christians are facing in Corinth. He wants to reduce their anxiety. Because when you're married, it increases your level of responsibility and concern. And surely, you, if you're married, have known that feeling. I remember it feeling full well when we had our first daughter, this extra weight of responsibility. It's certainly there. You you must give your family attention. You must fulfill your obligations to them. Now, so if you're single, you have some freedoms that married people don't have. Now, understand, the unmarried are no more righteous than the married and vice versa. But, but their interests are less divided or have opportunity to be less divided, shall we say. Marriage does not prevent devotion to the Lord and singleness does not guarantee devotion to the Lord. And, and Paul gives them this advice saying that he's only doing this to help them, not to put them in a bind, not to restrain them, not to tie them up, not to, to keep them from, from something important, but he's doing this for their good. Single Christians have more time for spiritual disciplines to delve into the things of God. Once you have a spouse and child, uh, your time and energies are spread thin. 
But whatever the situation in which God's called you, something Paul talked about uh, earlier in this chapter, uh, if you haven't figured out and come to grips with what, what and who God has called you to be, then uh, you will be constantly distracted from giving your best. Singles, use your time to serve the Lord. That doesn't mean it's wrong to want to be married or, or to be praying for God to lead you to a marriage partner, but don't let that become the all-consuming passion of your life. Serve the Lord and, and let your future rest with Him. If you are married, give thanks to God for your husband, for your wife. Uh, invest time in pleasing your partner as surely as you do the Lord. Love the mate God has given you. Let marriage be part of your service to the Lord. So Paul is simply calling all Christians to be in a place where you can honor the Lord with your life. He continues with the next type of relationship, verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his fiancée, if his passions are strong, and so it has to be, let him marry as he wishes. It is no sin Let them marry. But if someone stands firm in his resolve, being under no necessity, but having his own desire under control and has determined in his own mind to keep her as his fiancée, he will do well. So then he who marries his fiancée does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do better. Now, as is typical when I'm preaching, I generally don't just use one translation. I will use uh, multiple. Uh, I've never used more than five in a given sermon that I'm aware of. Uh, This one, I think, captures best the the, uh, original language here, Uh, and it's referring to the engaged and the unengaged. Whether you're engaged or unengaged, serve Jesus. Uh, You might have a translation that that, uh, interprets this as a father giving his daughter in marriage, but this is best understood as an engaged couple. And Paul's talking about a couple in the church uh, who had set the date. They'd already registered at Target and Walmart. They were getting ready to get married, and maybe given that current distress, the present situation Paul talks about, they were considering calling off the wedding. And his advice is that if you can't control your sex drive, you need to go ahead with this wedding. Paul says to these believers, you won't sin by marrying. But you will sin if you engage in sex outside of marriage. That's something he has said throughout here. If your sexual desires are overpowering, then clearly you don't have the gift of celibacy. So you need to get married. You're doing the right thing. But if you don't have to marry, even better. You say, well, what is that about? Is Paul saying that singleness is more spiritual than marriage? No, he's not. And let me affirm that marriage is not more spiritual than singleness either. We have to consider this context here. Paul's still talking about the advantages of singleness in times of distress particularly. So whether you go through with your engagement or you break off the engagement, serve Jesus. And then closes with this relationship, verse 39 and 40. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. So whether widowed or remarried, Serve Jesus. Marriage is a lifelong contract broken 
by death. A widow is free to remarry, Paul says. That, that must have been a question in the church at Corinth. But, but he says, Paul says he must be a Christian. He must be a follower of Jesus. Paul's perspective is that this widow would be freer from hardship if she stayed unmarried. The reality is you don't need a spouse to be happy, to be complete, to be secure. Make it your objective to please the Lord. And Paul's overriding concern is that these Christians should not have anything that divides or fragments them in their devotion to God. Whatever your relationship situation is, if if you belong to Jesus, it should show in your service toward Him. And whether you're single, widowed, divorced, engaged, married, put aside all distractions and serve Jesus with the totality of your heart. Now let me affirm that your sexual life is important but it is not the most significant thing about you. Your, your sexuality is God-given, but it's not the most significant thing about you. Let me put it in these words. Don't let your sexuality define who you are. Let your identity in Christ define your sexuality. I like what Paige Benton says when she writes about life as a Christian who is single. She says, My identity is not found in my marital status, but in my redemptive status. And if your faith is in Christ alone, you have been redeemed. Jesus took the sin of the world on Himself, becoming the perfect sacrifice for all who believe. And Scripture says, you can't be redeemed from this empty way of life by anything in this world. You can only be redeemed by the blood of God of Christ, the precious blood of Jesus. And so for all of you who have put your faith, your trust, your hope in Christ alone, you are a new creation. His blood has washed you clean from sin and made you a new creature, giving you a new identity. And let that identity as a child of God through faith in Christ, let that identity define you. Because right now, you live in a culture that says, More sex, more stuff, more experiences are what make life meaningful. And that's a lie. You and I are being bombarded by messages from our culture, no matter how much you might try to insulate yourself from it. We're bombarded by it. And the key is not to live as a hermit somewhere in a a cave far away. The, The key is to keep renewing your mind in Scripture by the power of the Holy Spirit to battle against what culture says is true with what God says is true. And whether it's news programs that we watch, whatever channel that might be, or whatever uh, browser you might use, uh, we, we must keep our minds on the truth of God as it is in Christ Jesus and allow that Word and the power of the Spirit to make us new each day as we conform more and more into the image of Jesus. The stuff of this world is not lasting. Don't be consumed by it. Real life, abundant life, is far beyond anything that's on this planet. Marriage is not eternal. Your relationship status is not as important as serving Jesus. And and that's really the key to understanding what Paul says. Uh, Whatever your status, whatever the circumstances of your life right now, uh, the reality is your undivided devotion belongs to Jesus. If your faith is in Christ, 
Uh, whatever the status that you're in right now, that's where your devotion belongs. Let nothing detract from it. When Tim Wood was pastor of a church in Tacoma, Washington, a young man came up to him and said, Pastor, is it, is it okay if I invite a lesbian to church? That being the first time Tim had heard that question, he still immediately responded, of course. And when Molly showed up, it was clear that she was interested in following Jesus. And soon she had committed herself to Christ. And, and Molly's life changed rapidly. Her vibrant spirit and testimony drew others to ask questions of what was happening in her life. Molly eventually asked some of her church friends to go with her to the gay bar that she used to frequent. And they hung out together drinking coffee and building relationships with people who felt rejected by the church. And some of them actually joined her at church. After two years, Molly came to see Pastor Tim and she said, I'd like to take a vow of celibacy and devote my life to God. And though Tim had never done anything like that before, he quickly agreed. And here's what Tim said. After much discussion and prayer, we set a date and invited guests to witness the celebration of her marriage to God. That day, 12 of us packed into my office. Molly shared her testimony and her vow. We wept. Each of us stated what Molly meant to us and our support for her decision. I placed a bracelet on her as she pledged her love to God, promising to be faithful to Christ as long as she would live. I couldn't hold back the tears. Today, Molly continues to live a life of unswerving dedication to God. I think that's a great example. We're in all kinds of different circumstances and relationships here today. Some of you are married. Some of you are single. Some engaged. Some widowed. Some struggle with sexual temptation. Some are divorced. Some aren't quite sure what God has for you. The question is, will you worship Him in whatever situation you find yourself? Will you serve Him no matter what happens? Because regardless of the circumstances of your life, regardless of the pressures of this present world, your undivided devotion belongs to Jesus. I would invite you to at least in your heart reflect your worship and commitment to Him this morning. I would invite you to join me, stand now please, as we close this service. And I would like you to join me in singing doxology to the Lord. Praise to God. And as you do so, reflect upon what's going on in your life. Reflect upon what's happening in your world. Whatever your relationship status, uh, whatever situations you may be in, if you are a child of God through faith in Christ, can you praise Him? Can you declare His worth and commit to serve Him and give Him the devotion that He deserves? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father.
Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Thanks be to God. Go in peace.